0: take this uh, opportunity to weave into the silence some reflections, things for one's consideration flowing with <clears throat> the theme of uh, what we're doing on this specific uh, retreat The contemplation, uh, preparation for uh, dying and death. So in this, what is apparent here and now, the sanditiko, mm -hmm, how are you? How am I? Asking yourself, how am I doing with these themes? themes in various ways of looking but really the ultimate question perhaps is the putting down of those last moments, breath moments, milliseconds, what it might be for when the body expires, the breath no longer flows, the elements begin their uh, immediate kind of march towards nature earth to earth, uh, air to air, water to water, fire to fire, where Mother Nature, as we say, reclaims the body, and in that reclaiming, we're giving back, we're only here on borrowed time, aren't we? We have borrowed the elements, and, and somehow we're a part of the construction of weaving together, piecing together this thing we call a me and mine, this skeleton with all of its parts. (coughs) So, how am I spending my time? How well am I spending my time? Ajahn Amaro and I be, first began to speak of this uh, mindful aging weekend and uh, uh, retreat, connecting to the mindful aging, of which I think there are about half the retreatants here were on the mindful aging weekend, <clears throat> and continued into the uh, this uh, week of uh, reflection of uh, dying and death, kind of brainstorming together on Skype this wonderful technology that Ajahn and I can sit down in our respective little private areas and look at each other and speak. How uh, incredible a time we we live in. And so I was sharing various uh, experiences that I had had and um, thoughts, reflections on ways that we might present this. Of which you're we're in now the, the third full day. We have five full days, so this is Thursday. Already it's almost 10.30, so the kind of morning of the third full day is marching on. Time waits for no woman or man. <clears throat> And I uh, spent some time with a, uh, when I first went off after 1979, when I traveled with Lompoc to visit this country and his, turned out to be his one and only trip to the United States, um, we, uh, you know, spent some time here, spent time in, uh, in America, and I lost my train of thought, but I'll we'll come back to it. Oh, when I returned, he gave me the opportunity, because I was the, kind of the senior, the abbot at uh, Wat Ban Anachat, the International Forest Monastery in Thailand, of which Ajahn Sumedho had been the first monk, and then I was second. And so I had said to him on the trip, oh, it might be nice to have a chance to go off and be on my own, experience some more personal retreat time, seek out secluded, remote areas to be, to be on uh, my own. And so he gave me that opportunity, invited me, and then Ajahn Jokaro, who uh, uh, then uh, became the uh, Senior Monk Abbot of Wat Bananajat, the third in the history of Nanajat. <coughs> and ah. I had met and uh, sought out a, a couple of teachers. One was uh, Ajahn Larung, who was a disciple of another forest monk, and, uh, uh, pretty much the tradition of Ajahn Chah, the the, the forest, contemplative tradition. And uh, Ajahn Narong was, was a great, uh, he was somewhat scholarly, but also had a deep practice. And he loved to teach. And one of the reasons he loved to teach, because his hearing was pretty much shot, so when you went to visit Ajahn Narong, it was pretty much just listening, not much speaking, cause so difficult to try to communicate anything with him because of his hearing so it was a lot of listening and good teachings and one of the things he taught and encouraged was death rehearsal and uh, we think about rehearsing we think of a stage play or rehearsal for uh, or preparation for uh, a talk we're going to give on some particular subject but how does one rehearse Death, the demise, the ending, the dissolution of the letting go, the passing of this physical body. So yesterday we had a, an exercise in uh, doing, uh, re- actually rehearsing that that Ajahn Amaro led us in, and I remember <clears throat> that uh, Ajahn Naro encouraged to to really uh look at all the possibilities of how one might die, and each of us uh, may have the ideal death. What would that be? You know, would it be going out quietly and peacefully uh, with those that we care about and love near our bedside, and kind of we breathe in and see the light as we breathe out, and you know off we go floating into the whatever we think we might float into. Or perhaps a more uh, frightening, uh, even terrifying death is what about a violent death, like say being attacked, uh, being murdered, uh, being in a car accident, Uh, something that really is a little more, is a little more difficult to contemplate. Why? Because one thinks about, oh, I don't want to go out in pain. I don't want to go out in a way that would um, be uh, so traumatizing. But we can all agree that as we sit here, we, there's probably not a choice, although we brought up euthanasia yesterday, which is very interesting. To I'm going to go out on my terms. Some of you may be contemplating that, considering that, I don't know. But I believe, if we're living life on life's terms, that the preparation and the uh, rehearsal is really for any situation, whatever our imagination might conjure up. And this is what I've tried to do and what I would encourage. Of course, having been in a very violent situation in war, that uh, there were many opportunities to see one's demise in a helicopter crash, bullet through the head, um, so many uh, shrapnel from what we called incoming, even when we were at night when we were in our particular uh, uh, base camp, they uh, the Vietnamese would always, uh, we'd get mortar rounds, so they would um, fire uh, mortars, just a little kind of launcher that you uh, kind of angle, and if you get the angle just right, you know how far up it goes the trajectory of the particular round and then it comes down and hits in a certain place. And uh, so they had this all figured out because we were in a base camp, so we weren't moving in a base camp. So they knew exactly where everything was, was likely that the Vietnamese that came in and helped to clean and worked with the American soldiers would kind of plot out certain things. Well last night... uh, I landed a mortar. Can you see where that one? I shot a mortar? Can you see where it landed? You know maybe it landed you know ten meters short of the uh, of the officers' quarters, where the leaders were. so all that person would have to do without even uh, with out even being noticed just kind of how many paces from where that motor shell landed to the middle of the uh, the headquarters of of all of the senior officers or uh, where that particular helicopter is on the landing pad, to actually not miss the helicopter, but to hit it. So, Of course, in war, the enemy tries to destroy the enemy and everything that's related to the enemy. So that was always uh, on one's mind, to be killed by. And so when these mortar rounds explode, um, they they produce shrapnel. And shrapnel are all these pieces of, of metal, and probably everybody's familiar with... Uh, Uh, these suicide bombers and load themselves with these vests with all sorts of um, pieces of, fragments of things that will scatter. So that shrapnel will go out and it will cause damage and hurt people. Isn't it wonderful the things that the human mind can conjure conjure up to try to hurt other human beings? How sad, how tragic. But yet that's a reality, isn't it? Everyone has heard a story or had an experience, even their own direct story, of how something like that might happen, could happen. But death we know will happen. So in our rehearsal, I encourage each of you to reflect in your own way of how that might come, and not to scare yourself or to be violent or hurtful, but just to kind of soften and open to the possibilities. Because by the opening, then I can feel, if I open, then I can begin to feel what that might be. And one of the uh, kind of analogies I came up with, that's kind of similar to the helicopter experience that I shared with you, that time slowing down and, 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 and ready Not knowing what the next thing is, but ready for that next thing. And and almost the chemistry, the kind of ingrained response within the human being, within the spirit, the psyche, wherever, uh, helps one to face that. So one analogy that I think everyone uh, might be able to relate to is, think about climbing up on a ladder. Everybody's been on a ladder some of you only like a two-step ladder. Maybe some of you go up on an 80-step ladder, great heights. Maybe some of us are afraid of heights, so we don't go very high on a ladder. But we know that uh, we're not birds, and so birds can kind of defeat gravity, can't they? They can fly. But we don't have wings, you know, we have feet. So our feet and gravity kind of plants us on the earth. And so no matter what kind of human beings do in airplanes and rocket ships, it's kind of the old expression, what goes up must come down. So if one is on a ladder, doing something, being very careful, I had this just before we left actually with with uh, my wife Catherine, she was on a ladder and she was on the top step. It's not wise to be on the top step of a ladder. It's not the safest place to be. And I kind of warned her and she said, oh, I'm fine but think if all of the sudden and this is the important part all of the sudden one begins to fall so if we begin to fall we have nothing to grab onto what happens? gravity takes over and as gravity takes over we fall a step or two, ten steps or two. People have fallen out of buildings. 9-11 people jumped out of buildings rather than to be consumed by flames. So they had quick decisions to make. So in that moment that one is falling, I believe there's a choice. It's a very quick choice. It's a very immediate choice. I can either resist gravity, fight gravity, or I can soften, soften the heart, soften knowing that the, probably the next thing will be impact, like in the time of the helicopter. But I wasn't afraid. I can honestly say it there wasn't fear. I was ready for that next thing, which could be pain, could be fire, could who knows? But I was kind of ready for that. So I had surrendered without even knowing it into, into that moment. But I hadn't given up, but I had surrendered that that was one possibility in that fragment of time when time slowed down. So think about that at the moment of death. I believe it's something like falling, like we're there and then we have to let go very quickly. And I don't think it just goes dark and it goes blank. I think there is a moment of choosing, a moment of consciousness. In the Tibetan Book of the Dead, it talks about the moment of death and entering into what is called the bardo. And I haven't read it for many, many years. I had hoped to kind of get to it before I came here. I didn't get a chance. But some of the things I remember were were quite significant. And I highly recommend, uh, after this treat, if you haven't seen it or contemplated had a chance to read it, do so. It's a very detailed uh, description of what uh, happens at death. And one of the things that 's quite poignant about it is these various uh, lights uh, arising, and depending on the color of the light that arises, certain lights are more desirable than other lights to move towards and They talk about seven days i i 'm not sure how it all works, but there is a period of uh, that that one is is making certain choices in that uh, and, and this would be after death has come, and one of the things that's described that's very powerful for me because I've actually experienced this is that this 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 light appears, and this light is described in the Tibetan Book of the Dead, and, and I think the new translation is the Tibetan Book of Dying and Death, something like that. But they describe the light of a thousand suns, this incredibly intense, bright, white light appearing or manifesting. And then they describe the sound of a thousand thunders reverberating through the universe, through what you and I are connected to. And I had an experience one time, a kind of an altered state somewhat, but nevertheless it didn't change in my view of this experience, the reality of it where I actually experienced it. wasn't like I saw this light. I began, I became this light. This light was so compelling, so dazzling, so incredibly amazing. And then the sound began to reverberate. (laughs) And the closer I got, the louder it became, the more compelling it became. And I was drawn towards it. I was drawn to the light and the noise. And then I remember very clearly I began to think of my mother and sister and that I had unfinished business. So it began to draw me back. But in that same moment, I began to see all conditioned things. I began to see cities, great cities like New York, or Chicago, or London, and see everything just kind of crumbling, just like seeing it in its true nature, just dissolving. So it's there. It looks permanent, doesn't it? We like to think of it as permanent, like London. Think about London. And London could be just wiped out with the foolish kind of destructive things that man has created these days, and just in an instant it could be gone. But I saw that, and it was so very powerful. So that stayed with me very deeply to this day, obviously, such an experience. And it almost was a near-death experience because I felt if I was prepared for that, that I could have gone to that light, merged with the light and the sound. But things of the world, attachments of the world held me back, said, no, you're not ready. I even felt that I could go up and touch the earth and shake it like the Buddha. And this was all very real. So some of you in the audience may be thinking, "Huh, what was he on? come on now, Joseph, come clean. It was an LSD trip. But I don't in any way believe that was less powerful or less real. Because I think when they, and I don't know the chemistry, I'm not a chemist, I'm not a biologist, I'm not any kind of education in that, but that there is chemistry going on in the body all the time. And so, how these chemicals intermix and, and uh, impact various parts of our human experience are quite incredible. And there were a lot of people that died on LSD by doing foolish things, thinking they were. I remember Warapunyo, who was in our group of the three Westerners that were ordained, was Kemadama, Warapunyo, and myself, and Paul Brighter. Maybe some of you know him from some of his books. Um, Venerable Father is one he did. He has quite a a hand in a lot of Ajahn Shah's translations. And he used to talk about in New York being like high in LSD and driving around in his car and thinking that his car was like a marshmallow. And there were just all these marshmallows out there, so you could just kind of bump off of each other. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go have a marshmallow drive. And those are the kind of things that were <laughs> dangerous, <laughs> to say the least. But in this experience, I had already been meditating for some time. I was in a safe environment. Uh, I was in a safe place, and I was with someone who I trusted very deeply. His name happens to be Sumedo. And this was in the very, very early years. and. Uh, So uh, that um, this experience was, uh, so that's what made it even more real because I wasn't, you know, out um, getting high in a sense. It was more of a kind of a, uh, I won't go to the history and all of that, but how this actually came about. But I truly do believe there was, it was no less real. But the point is that here is a book, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, that describes these very things. So that's what fascinates me. And that, that and, and, and as this sound, as I grew closer to the sound and the light, this body just began to kind of, with, with the sound, just kind of like, you know, wah, wow, wow, and the body was just, and I could just, and it was just a skeleton. It was just like, this was taking over this body. And so the body wasn't mine, it wasn't me, it was just a body, and this was so much bigger. And I believe that in many near-death experiences, there's different things, how people feel at peace, they see light, um, and I think it has very much to do with, with our karmic um, conditioning, our what kind of things that we have planted in the past that are allowed to blossom more come into fruition in the present. It's really what karma is cause and effect, isn't it? It can be good effects, it can be bad, They call, it, you know, vipaka, the results of our karma. So karma is just, is action, but then it's what it can be kusala, wholesome karma, it can be akusala, unwholesome. So depending on those conditions that you and I have planted, that those are the kind of what, the, when the fruit ripens, this is a very powerful uh, reflection. Another wonderful analogy, and this is after I had disrobed and I was struggling and uh, was talking with a, a woman who was a friend of a friend. And she uh, uh, had done whitewater rafting, and so I was struggling. It was a very emotionally my first couple of years after leaving Amaravati here. It was a very uh, devastating, trying and traumatic time for me was very unstable emotionally, so even though I spent these years meditating and, and uh, dedicated to the robe and the practice, there was an emotional side that was still very immature. My kind of emotional intelligence was not uh, very strong. And uh, it's interesting reading, I came across the book of uh, Ajahn Nando, who uh, was written by uh, Molly and himself, a woman that he uh, left. With um many years ago, and as I was reading this, I was fascinated because the in, the emotional intelligence that he had when he first disrobed I could relate to because there was this almost this kind of fairy tale still of finding the woman of my dreams and making living happily ever after, and she's so wonderful, and I kind of go into a blissful state like Ajahn Shah would say that kind of the hippies in those days would come to Watpaong and you know be interested in. Buddhism and enlightenment, I might have said this to maybe on the aging weekend and <laughs> he'd look and he'd say he says uh he says these westerners he says they wanna you know the 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 woman wants to take the the the, the you know the male with her their man and wife he says you know me' me pan said the uh, the wife wants to take the husband into Nirvana with her, and the and the, <laughs> the the husband wants to take the wife, and the wife wants to take the husband, and he would laugh, you know, kind of this ideal that well, nirvana is something we can kind of hold hands and jump jump into the abyss, and we'll live peacefully and happily ever after. So this woman said, in whitewater rafting, everybody's familiar with whitewater rafting. And one of the things that people are trained in in whitewater rafting is to ragdoll. Everybody knows a ragdoll. I don't know, is it called the same thing in, here in England? You know, it's the doll that just kind of flops around. You can put it any way. So if one tips over in whitewater rafting, because you're in rapids, so it's a very kind of, uh, that's why people like it, the excitement, the danger, and all that. So if one tips over, falls out of the boat, you're taught to ragdoll then you have a life preserver. But ragdoll means just letting your body go. And so if you ragdoll, you're not resisting what the water is doing. doesn't mean you're not going to get hurt, but you're wearing some safety gear and stuff. And so by ragdolling, one is allowed to just kind of be flopped and turned and twisted and, and taken downstream until eventually you get through the rapids. Whereas if one resists and tightens, just think about it, if you tighten... Than resisting, and then there's more of a chance to get hurt. I think that's um, uh, is is recorded that, you know, sometimes the drunk in the car accident is the le- least hurt because they're so drunk, they're kind of ragdolled already, you know, they're kind of, <laughs> and they hurt and kill uh, unfortunately other people, and uh, but this you know, can train ourselves. So it's another it's another analogy of how you and I can let go at that moment of just... just just like the gravity is taking us that we... ah, just kind of... let go. And this is something we can practice, we can rehearse. Now, not tomorrow. Because in the now, we don't know when that now, that moment will come. Encouraging you every evening to come to, you know, practice your last breath, to letting go, to... um, Giving the body back to the elements to returning to where it came from hmm. so let's take the next say ten minutes to the end of the sitting, and I'll probably mention this later as well, but One of the things that Ajahn Chah taught was when we listen to Dhamma, to teachings, whether it's reading a teaching, hearing a teaching from a teacher, a friend, the insights, whatever, that you and I have a natural recorder. The recorder's on all the time. We record through the ear, through the eyes, the nose, taste, feelings, sensations, mental thoughts and formations. So as I've been speaking, you've been recording. So, as you sit now and close your eyes or have your eyes slightly uh, open, get into your posture, just allow the recording, allow whatever's been recorded, what kind of stands out. If you just say, push play, don't try to remember as much as just kind of let, hear some playback. There's going to be something, I would think, that I've said here that kind of, that you related to, that you could say, oh, that made sense. Let me reflect on that. And so in your own way, then reflect on one of those things. Maybe the latter analogy, uh, maybe something very frightening, you're afraid of heights, and the worst death for me would be falling off of a building or of a cliff or something. Um, that still freaks me out. And I flew helicopters, but a helicopter kind of, it had stability, yet it could fall out of the sky. But in a helicopter, it was fine. But if it took me up to 1,500 feet, just kind of stood me on a platform, you know, I'd be totally come on, you know, come on glued. <laughs> so, so let's take these, these few minutes and uh, just kind of rehearse in your own way. Just kind of said, let it flow, play your tape back, what has maybe made some sense, the breath, of course, the body, the kind of the moment we have, those things that help us to be stable in this moment, and then let your, your kind of thought process just kind of reflect in and, and on how that might be for you and and how you would deal with it. So my encouragement is we um, move our bean bags from here to the next uh, location. Everybody remember your bean bag? Mm-hmm. our 32 parts enveloped in a bag of skin. The Buddha's analogy with its uh, mung beans and black beans and pinto beans and kidney beans and a lot of beans must be a windy situation, huh? Eh? To continue your reflection, what has meant, and to listen to, to continue to listen to your recorder, and what may come come up as you move from here to walking, and then to uh, the uh, meal, and be very aware of how the inclination is going to be to not go towards that. Remember, I talked about the the firmly taking the controls you know to guide you know in the direction that uh, going upstream you know one analogy is the ragdoll going downstream but the other analogy is that we have to go upstream against the flow of habit don't we so you know that well i wonder what's for lunch today and you know and um You know, Joseph gets to go first. Is he going to leave me a piece of that nice chocolate cake that I think they're baking today or whatever may come? And so it's bringing ourselves back, you know, pulling ourselves back. And remembering that, you know, as we eat, you know, what we eat is becoming the contents of our bean bag, the various beans that that food becomes. Like Ajahn Amaro now has a complete dhana body. His body has been totally transformed by love, kindness, generosity, over these years of receiving alms, you know. Now you know what a full dana body looks like. (laughs) (laughs) And many of these good people have contributed. Exactly, exactly. So this is is what everybody has created here, you know. (laughs) So let us now move.